Well, a happy new year to you all. Welcome to 2023. Randall, year three of Behind the Yellow Line here. Good to see you tonight, Randall. Good to see you, Jeremy. Uh, episode 94 for us uh, as we enter our third year putting this together. Uh, let's hope better luck for the Cubs here in our third season talking about this team. And that's really the game plan for tonight. The Cubs make a move at first base. Mixed bag in terms of reaction from this podcast. We'll break down Eric Hosmer. We'll zoom out a little bit. Still a couple of weeks before spring training, but what is the state of the roster? Where can the Cubs go from here? Who else realistically can be added before spring training starts? A Hall of Fame coming up here in just a couple of weeks. One former Cub is in. One current Cub, sort of, is in. A couple of other guys on the docket here. So we'll talk a little bit about the ballot as well. And uh, anything else that sort of pops up here, Cubs or Major League Baseball. Uh, but Jeremy, I was thinking about this, and we talked about this a little bit last week when I was back in Chicago. Uh, always kind of sad when you get to the end of the year. And it was especially sad this year because it was the end of an important year, especially for you and I, the end of 2022. We've said so many times on the show, the number 22 is important to our co-host, Randall Sanders. So to leave 2022, I'm sad. But Jeremy, the optimist, you said, but hey, look, we're entering 23. And that is a year, a number that is very important and significant in Chicago sports history. So maybe in the year of 23, the Rhino, the Devin Hester, of course, the Michael Jordan, maybe this is the good luck we need because the year of the Randall did not turn out good for the Cubs. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. This is an optimistic take. I'm always an optimist, and I think we're coming up on a big year in the year of the 23. I think good things can happen. The year of the 22 was terrible for Chicago sports, really, really bad, but we're entering yeah. the best year of the 23. And, uh, you know, I, I had to ending that 22 was nice. We had a good time as you visited in uh, Chicago. We went down to Wrigley. The Wonderland was nice. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm optimistic for the 23. I think good things can happen. Uh, you know, what better way to end uh, the 22 year, Ronan, than you staying in Chicago a little longer than you intended to. But as you said, the year of the 23, the Jordan year, the Rhino year, the Hester year, that's two Hall of Famers and a should be Hall hmm. of Famer, a Hall of Fame finalist for the NFL ballot. Hopefully the three of them can kind of pool their energy, the father, the son and the Holy Spirit and make it a better year for Chicago sports in 2023. And And I know this isn't necessarily our focus on this podcast, but I did find it interesting because there was a really good 23 on the other side of town, a man by the name of Robin Ventura. Oh yeah. That the White Sox gave out their 23 this year to Andrew Benatendi. And I thought they that did. Was, I was like, they did indeed. Robin Ventura 20, is one of their better players. 23 not retired on the South side of town. It's been through more than a few players since uh, Robin Ventura played and managed for them. And as Jeremy said, most recently, Andrew Benatendi. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought that was a little surprising. I didn't see he got number 23, so that, that is very interesting. Uh, but I was thinking about Chicago teams and maybe some good luck coming in 2023. We want the Cubs back in the playoffs for the first time since 2020. The Bears are having an awful year, but there's some hope there, right? There's a lot of cap space. They've got a very high draft pick or a position to trade a very high draft pick. They've got a great quarterback. So a little bit of excitement there. Hawks, not so good. Bulls, not so good. But maybe it's a sign that Chicago's Big Ten team opened the new year with a big dominant stomping of the fighting Illini. So Northwestern maybe kicks things off here in the year of the Jordan. 
And I'm going to say the only way you're going to get me to comment on a Northwestern Illinois basketball game is for Northwestern based in the wonderful town of Evanston, which is not Chicago, wearing Chicago flag, wearing Chicago flag themed jerseys. How hilariously ridiculous is that? Uh, uh, It's so awful. It comes back around to being funny. And that's that's really the only way you're going to get a comment from me. Uh, regarding an Illinois Northwestern basketball game is for a team based in Evanston to represent themselves as a Chicago team. It's very funny. I'm just going to just thank you, Randall, there, because I, I just find it at ridiculous as well. I mean, Chicago's Big Ten team, let's face it. I mean, that any Northwestern game you go to, the opposing fans outnumber Northwestern. And I'm not here to bash Northwestern at all, but uh, neither am I. But I, I have a I family member I, who worked for Northwestern. I have friends who went to Northwestern. I spent a lot of time in Evanston, wonderful town, but Chicago's Big Ten team, I, I, I don't think it lands anymore. Evanston's Big Ten team. And Ronan, actually, uh, you know, uh, Evanston is a big deal in Colorado over there. You know, we oh, went yeah. up Mount Evans, named after the same guy. So, well, uh, it's no longer Mount Evans. That's true. That's it is true. now Mount Blue Sky. So yeah. uh, maybe they'll change Evanston to Blue exactly. Sky, Illinois, Blue, and it'll be Blue Skyton. Yeah. Uh, well, let's get back to the Cubs here. And Jeremy, I'm glad you mentioned the Wonderland because we did go. And I do want to talk about that before we break today. But let's start with the roster. Big news the last couple of days and and uh, very polarizing news, I think, in the world of Cubs fans. Eric Hosmer is coming to the Cubs. I don't think the Cubs have officially announced it yet, but all the reports indicate it is happening. He will be 33 years old next year. The Cubs only have to pay him about $700,000 because the Padres still owe him about $40 million. So he's very cheap. He's 33 years old. He's been a World Series champion a number of years ago with Kansas City. He's since played for San Diego, a brief stint in Boston. Yet this is, as I said, a very polarizing move for Cubs fans. I'm going to say right now, I hate this. I hate everything about it. I know you guys don't feel as strongly about that as I do. So, Randall, I'll give you the floor here first. What do you see optimistically about Eric Hosmer coming in at about seven hundred grand next year? You know, optimistically, not a whole lot. Really, the best thing I can say for him is that he's cheap and he'll be very easy to cut. I think not if, but when this probably goes poorly. But I think it's a damning indictment of the roster that he may actually come in as a slight upgrade over certain offensive players who got what will probably amount to the same number of plate appearances in the 2022 season. Uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to go too far. I don't want to say this is awful. I've seen takes that it brings the whole off season down by a grade. And I think that's ridiculous. If the Cubs had brought in a player like this on a minor league deal, non-guaranteed, I don't think uh, anybody would be batting an eyelash beyond the obligatory jokes. I think there's a little bit of hyperbole involved with Eric Hosmer. So H for Hosmer, H for hyperbole. I don't like the deal. But it's easy to get out from under if it does not go well, and I don't think it will go well. He's a little bit of very cheap insurance for really your planet first base is an an unproven, very talented, but unproven prospect. So I've seen worse. It's not great. It doesn't make me happy. And I, I do think he's not going to make it to, say, Memorial Day on the roster or July 4th on the roster. But, you know, it, it is one of your favorite phrases, Ronan. It is what it is. And another of your favorite phrases, the Cubs have to recognize when there are diminishing returns. That's a Ronan phrase right there. When there are diminishing returns and they have to be willing to cut bait with him when that time comes. I'm not saying if, I'm saying when. Hmm. For me, I, I just want to start off and say, um, first of all, like Eric Hosmer, I, I I don't think anybody would think, you know, going into this offseason that Eric Hosmer is probably one of your, I don't know, top five first basemen that you want to the Cubs to bring in. 
Uh, I, I think they failed by not going after Jose Abreu. I, I think we know at the time we thought that that was all pretty rich deal for Jose Abreu. And we all thought that that's a lot of money, but now looking back on it with how much teams have spent this off season, I, I think that was a mistake to not bring in Abreu. And there have been other options that maybe the Cubs could have pursued that, you know, would have been a, more of an upgrade, but at this point in time on the roster, I, I don't have a problem with this at all. I think it's perfectly fine. I don't think it's like the best move they could have made. As I said, I personally would have preferred probably someone like Trey Mancini, but I understand why the Cubs brought in Hosmer. I think first of all, like he's always been, you know, for a first baseman, he's not a good hitter, but he is a decent hitter. He he's a above average hitter for the most of his career. He's probably going to project to be like the fifth best hitter on this Cubs offense uh, going into next year. Uh, so, and the Cubs need bats. Like you look at, they had some black holes on this, on this team last year and just getting some better offense, you know, Frank Swindell, Alfonso Rivas, they had PJ Higgins, whoever was playing first base. That was one of the worst positions in all of baseball. And I think Saad Sharma had a great article uh, about this on the athletic of, of just, you know, you just look at the improvement just of Hosmer, what you expect from that to what they had last year. Like, that is an improvement that could increase your it can increase your your team by one to two wins just because those players were so bad and sometimes you just get improvements by being absolutely terrible god awful to just slightly bad or or bad like that's an improvement that helps you um is, so I, is, I, let me jump in for a second though before you make oh, another point course, but is that on. the goal for the cubs this offseason to just be better than Frank Schwindel and Alfonso Rivas. You put Randall J. Sanders at first base for 150 games next year. You might do better than Frank and Alfonso Rivas. Like, I'll settle, like, I'll settle I, for I would half love of league minimum. That. I would Look, love it, to see that. I agree it's better, but this is bottom of the barrel, man. The, the, the goal for the franchise has to be better than just putting someone out there who's slightly more competent than Frank Schwindel, right? Okay, well, let me, let, me, let me take that. First of all, I think the goal for the Cubs this offseason – I think the A-plus main goal would have been I, – I don't think there was, like, a way for the Cubs entering this year, like, we're going to be a 90-win true talent team next season. We're going to pretty much be the team maybe to beat or whatever in the division. I don't I, I don't know if that was possible. I don't think it was. I think, personally, like, an A-plus goal would have been, okay, we're going to be, like, an uh, 85, 86, 87-win true talent team, and we're going to be right in the hunt mixed for, for the – for the division. I don't think they accomplished that. I don't think they, I would give them an A plus an A on their off season. I don't think they did, but I do think like there's a goal of being that team that, you know, kind of around an average 500 team. If things break right, we're in the mix because this division is not that good. If things break wrong, well, maybe we have some pieces we can move at the off season and build more of the farm. Like, and I think this kind of does move towards that. Look, I'm not saying like Eric Hosmer is going to be a great player for the Cubs, but he does give them something. He improves the team. He brings them. He lowers the, or excuse me, raises the floor. Like I don't think they're going to be awful. He raises the floor they have, and there are actually some things like like I don't expect it to happen. But like if you could ever convince Eric Hosmer to hit the ball in the air, he hits fifty seven percent balls into the ground, which is insane. If you could ever convince him to hit the ball in the air, he can be a decent player. Now I don't think that's possible. I don't think you convince him, but if you could unlock it, it's possible there. So like and as it you said it's seven hundred twenty thousand they Cubs can move on from this easily. Like there's no there's nothing that they're attached to. So for that, like I'm fine with it. I don't think it's a problem. You know, you thought you were out from under the ground ball to the right side curse of jason oh, hayward oh, no it's just going to continue now now remember there is no shift or at least the, the shifts are have been yeah. neutered drastically going into 2023 that may help him on those ground balls to the right side some of those may go through for hits uh, jeremy like you said the 
Cubs first baseman were the floor, the very floor. And uh, Alfonso Rivas, whose release uh, became official today after he was mm-hmm. designated for assignment right before Christmas. I liked Alfonso Rivas. Obviously, the, the Cubs did not like him as much as I did. But as Jeremy said, the floor for Cubs first baseman was so low last year that even mediocrity, if you can call Hosmer mediocrity, uh, even mediocrity is better. And Ronan, to your point, the goal for this offseason should not have been mediocrity. It should not have been to raise a bad floor up to a slightly less bad floor. But you get to the point in the offseason where your top targets are off the board. You need to add something to this roster. Hosmer was available. He's pretty much the cheapest major league option out there at first base. And I will say my opinion of this deal will change based on whether they use those savings to go out and get somebody else. You can still go out and get Trey Mancini. You can still go out and get one of those kind of DH only bats that's floating around out there like Nelson Cruz, like maybe Adam Duvall. If you want to really take a flyer on somebody, there are other ways out there to try and add something to this offense and spending so little on Eric Hosmer means that you still have those resources available to you. Will the Cubs do that? That's the question. There's, it's funny, the things to like about signing Hosmer have nothing to do with Hosmer, and they have everything to do with what they can, you can still allow this roster to do. Well, I, I do agree with you right there that they should do more. They have the opportunity to do more because they still have money and, and they need to do more. Like, this is definitely not. No, this is not like, it. Right. But I do want to say the thing that will really get me to be like angry about an Eric Hosmer contract will be like, if, either, if we are in May, June, July, and Matt Mervis is kind of showing, you know, whatever, and we're stuck with a crappy Eric Hosmer, you know, playing first base, and we're not getting like that will annoy me if David Ross is not making it. But I don't think that will happen because they owe him nothing. Like, I don't see why they shouldn't be able to move on from Eric Hosmer if he's bad. And if he gives you anything like, you know, and you could, I think Hosmer had reverse splits last year. I think you can even platoon him in Mervis. So like that will be, I will be pissed off if, if Hosmer is somehow blocking Mervis, that will piss me off. Well, I'm not as worried about that. I mean, I'm certainly worried about Mervis as, is he real? Like, you know, this guy kind of comes out of nowhere. He's in his mid twenties. He has this monster season, but you've seen that in the past with guys that it doesn't necessarily translate. The Cubs really need Matt Mervis to be real. If this team is going to be competitive next year. And I don't know, maybe he's real and, and it's a lifesaver for the Cubs. And suddenly they've got this pop in the middle of the lineup. The, The problem with, Hosmer is he's a bad player. He's a, he's a legitimately bad baseball player. He's horrendous in the field. And the Cubs have invested all this money on the middle infield, middle infield defense, strong defensive play up the middle. And I don't think that he's going to negate what Nico and Dansby does up the middle, but he's certainly going to pull from it. He's an awful defensive first baseman, and he's not a good enough hitter to be a first baseman or full-time DH. And I am almost certain at a minimum, we're going to see 200 plate appearances from Eric Hosmer as a Cub next year. That's not good. That is not good. And, and I think what really bothers me about all of it is two months ago, I believe the Cubs, when they said the money is there, they're going to be very aggressive this offseason. They're going to try and go out and win a division. This is not a move for a team that's legitimately trying to win a division. This is a move for a team that, yeah, they're trying to make a, a cheap upgrade at first base. And yeah, it is an upgrade over Frank Schwindel. God bless him in Japan. I hope he tears the cover off the ball. But this is not the move from a team that is serious about winning a division championship. And it comes on the heels of other sort of meh moves. I I don't love where this offseason has gone. And I was very high on the offseason after that Bellinger signing got things started. It's been kind of all downhill from there for me. 
and I don't like this. I think this is going to be bad. And Randall, I love your point about the ground balls. It drove us crazy with Hayward. At least Hayward could catch the ball in right field. Hosmer at first, you're going to see some historically bad defense at first base for the Cubs next year. And Ron, I got three things for you. One, uh, bring things full circle. We talked about the year of the 23, Jason Hayward wearing number 23 as a uh, non-roster invitee for the Dodgers. So time is a flat circle. Number two, you mentioned Matt Vervis kind of came out of no- kind of came out of nowhere. He was undrafted, but we remember that was in the 2020 draft where there were only five rounds. Jeremy, yes only five rounds. So, you know, if he had been drafted as like a sixth or seventh round pick, we wouldn't necessarily say he would have come out of nowhere. We would have uh, heard about him when they drafted him. And I think the the profile of him would have raised a little bit more. And then to your point about his horrendously bad defense, we have seen the Cubs jettison guys for just being unplayable in the field. Jonathan VR was doing that infield no favors last year, and they did the right thing and they moved on from him. Maybe they moved on from him later than they should have, um, you know, which made a, what a, a bad team slightly worse for the first half. Uh, we've seen this team willing to move on from the Flyers uh, when it when they've shown that it's time, and they owed Jonathan VR. I don't know how much they paid him in 2022, how much that contract was when they signed him, but I guarantee you they owed him. They were on the hook for a lot more than the league minimum when they jettisoned him. So we've seen a willingness by this front office and this team to get rid of guys when they are just not working out. So if there's one thing I'm not quite worried about, it's them keeping Hosmer past his expiration date more than you know two two three weeks. I am confident that when this doesn't work out, I am confident that it's a when not an if i am confident that they will get rid of him and they will figure something else out at first base if mervis hasn't shown himself by then well i'm, I'm not confident it's a when i i, I mean I, i'm not that negative on the deal i mean i think they're probably going to more than likely get what they expect to get out of it um but i do think like first of all i i, I think he's a bad defensive player don't get me wrong but I, I think her, like historically all i think we're overplaying like like frank schwindel not to keep going back to well but he was awful at first base like he couldn't scoop balls couldn't do there were a lot of things that he could do and i think hosmer is going to be better than that and i think that kind of brings me to my next point is yes you know you don't want to put bad players nobody wants bad players but when you have gains can be made still when you have awful players and you can still gain just by being you know somewhat competent in certain areas will will raise your floor and still make gains like look i don't think hosmer He's not who I wanted. I agree with you. They screwed up at the beginning of the offseason. I under I, I totally agree. Like I think you should be mad. It makes sense to me to be mad that the Cubs did not bring in Jose Abreu. They did not bring in all these that all makes sense to me. I'm on board with that. Um, I get Hosmer is probably the symptom of that. Like he's the face of it now because they brought Hosmer in. So I understand the hate towards Hosmer. I don't I don't necessarily think Hosmer kind of deserves that hate because I do think he will provide you with some sort of level of competence in a way that will help the Cubs. And and there are other qualities that I do think that the Cubs are looking for. Like they can't just give Matt Mervis the job. I mean, no, he did. I agree with you. He did come out of nowhere. Even, you know, they did, even if he, he was a, he was a senior sign, basically he probably would have been drafted in the sixth, seventh rounds. Randall would have said, but he was like a senior. He wasn't drafted after he was a junior. Like most guys, he did not have a great first year in the minors. And then he had this monster year last year. So like, we need to really kind of see it. Like, I don't think he deserves to be handed the job. So, yeah, and I think there's a little bit of a mentorship possibility. Like, Eric Hosmer's been around the league. He's been a player for, you know, he won a World Series, as you mentioned. I think Mervis can still learn, like, how to be a professional ball player from Eric Hosmer, and I expect that. Um, but, like, yes, I, I agree. Like, this is not this is not the move 
that I would have given an A to. I don't think it's a move that like we're bona fide division, you know, contenders next year. I agree with that, but I do think it helps the Cubs. And in the position the Cubs are in now, I look at it through that lens. Like, what is going to help our team tomorrow? What is going to make us a better team tomorrow? And I think Eric Hosmer makes us a better team. We are a better team today than we were yesterday with Eric Hosmer. So that's why I'm okay with it. The scapegoat, Jeremy, scapegoat is the word you are looking for. That We are blaming Eric Hosmer for the ills of this offseason that are not necessarily his fault. Well, but he he sort of epitomizes everything that's been wrong with this offseason. The Cubs came into this offseason. We talked about this a lot. They needed a top-of-the-line starting pitcher. They didn't get that. They got a, a decent number three but they didn't get a top-of-the-line starting pitcher, and it seems unlikely that they're going to be able to add that. It's possible maybe via trade that Jed's got to trick up his sleeve, but I'm not betting that that's likely coming for the Cubs. They needed to significantly upgrade third base, first base, DH, and all we have for that right now is Eric Cosmer. It's very disappointing. Very, very disappointing. Is first base slightly better than last year? Sure. But this team is, is not serious. And why aren't the Cubs serious? Why are the Cubs scared of this luxury tax why are they artificially holding themselves under this luxury tax this is the well, cubs like I, like the like the brewers have gotten worse the brewers are a worse team today than they were last season the cardinals front runners in the division if the cubs go out and spend more money or be more aggressive they have a legitimate chance at winning a division title we're going to see eric hosmer get 250 plate appearances next year for the Cubs. That's not going to end well. He hasn't had a one F4 season since 2017. Like, that's a lifetime ago. Think of the 2017 Cubs. John Lackey was a Cub in 2017. It just feels like a lifetime ago since he's been a competent, consistent big league player. And and I know these teams are in different circumstances than the Cubs. He is so bad. The Padres are paying him $40 million to leave. The Boston Red Sox had him for the same deal the Cubs had, seven hundred and twenty grand. He could play first. He could DH, be a guy, mentor the young players. They're trying to figure things out in Boston. They said, no, thanks. I don't like it. And I'm disappointed that this is where this offseason has gone. Well, first of all, like, I, I agree with you that I they should be spending more money. There are a lot of moves. I We talked about it all offseason that mm-hmm. I thought the Cubs would be better. And Boston made one of those moves, to be honest, that probably made Eric Big Cosmer expendable in signing Justin Turner. And I thought Justin Turner was a – was a good guy to have, and he will probably play first base with them them next year with Raphael Devers, who they just extended at at third. So I, I I think, you know, I a hundred percent agree with you. I do. I personally, for me, I am not hating this off season as much as you are. I do think the Cubs improved their team a lot. I think they're going to be a better team than they were next year. I think they did a lot of things that they needed to do. They got a center fielder. They got an elite middle infielder. They, you know, Hosmer's not really, you know, we're going to say, but they are you know, better at first base. They did add to the rotation. They have, you know, something. I think they are going to be, hopefully, in my case, and what I really want from next year, I think they're going to be a competitive team for most of the season, at least, and hopefully for all of the season. I think we could be going into August looking at, you know, fighting for a playoff spot, possibly fighting for the division, depending on, and that's what I want, and that's what I think the goal is right now. And so, yeah, I 100% agree with you. They should have spent more. They should have signed Turner, in my opinion, they should have, they could have signed JD Martinez. I thought who yep. went to the Dodgers to be a DH. I'm 100 on board with those criticisms. I totally get it, but I do think they did a lot of things that helped this team, that put them in the position to be competitive. And I do think, and I think, like, I don't know, like, what is the move right now? I, you know, for me, it's Trey Mancini. But other than that, what is the move right now that is yeah. better than Eric Hosmer? And I don't know what that move is. 
I don't I, want I, Dominic, and, I don't want Dominic Smith. I think Hosmer's better no. than Dominic Smith. And I don't really want Trey Mancini, to be honest with you either. I think exactly. that they just sort of slept on this, but but this isn't good now where you've ended up. And you know, I, I do like the Bellinger move. I was very high on that when it initially came down. I'm I'm pretty good with Dansby. I'm worried about how he ages, and I'm a little bit worried that he's gonna be kind of like good the next two years or so. And then once the Cubs hopefully have a really good roster around him, he's starting to decline. And now you've got a little bit of an issue there at short. That's certainly something that could come up for them. But it's just very disappointing. All of the hot air that was pumped from the front office, the guys like Crane Kenny through their media channels saying the Cubs are going to be competitive. They're going to go for it. It feels like a big miss at this point in time. I look at this roster and zooming out from Eric Hosmer, just kind of looking at the team as a whole here. This is a pretty bland Chicago Cubs team going into next year. And there's guys I like on the team. I like Seiya Suzuki. I like Ian Happ. Uh, Obviously, Nico had a fantastic year last year, but you look at the diamond here and you look at the starting rotation, there's not a lot of wow. And the Cubs need to have some wow with the, with the money that they bring in, with the payroll flexibility, not just this year, but the money coming off the book next year. And what I think today on January 5th when we record this is it's far more likely, Jeremy, you were saying a minute ago, they should be around 500, get a couple breaks, maybe you're a playoff team. I'm worried that you get a slow start to the year. And it's highly unlikely that guys like Ian Happ, Marcus Stroman, Cody Bellinger, or even Cubs come August. And then what? Then we're going into next offseason, and you still have a hole in left field. You still have a hole in the starting rotation. You've got a whole bunch of other problems there, too. So, again, we talked about this last year. It is critical for this team to get off to a hot start and potentially be in a position to be adding as the season goes on. Because right now, I look at this roster, and I go, this is a very mediocre, kind of boring Cubs team. And there are certainly players I like, but as a whole – Ugh, it just seems sort of lifeless to me when I look at this roster. And there's still a month before spring training. I, well, I, yes, I agree with you. And, and look, I it's I I don't think it's the A plus roster we wanted. I do. Th- I mean, I I like Dansby and Clay and uh, and Bellinger. I think they could be like kind of exciting players. I mean, if Bellinger's striking out so much, maybe not. But I I think you'll get some excitement from them. But uh, I I do think like I think I think what you really want is you want the farm system to grow. You want another year of success in the farm system building that that could push and add, you know, to the major league club going into next year as well. And if unfortunately they do get off to a slow start, right. Hopefully they don't, but, and they do have to part with guys. Hopefully you're, you're once again, replenishing your farm system. And I think that's really the goal. It's just, just kind of keep that farm system going, maintain some flexibility in the future, be somewhat competitive this year. Cause I, I, I think they will be, I think they're a better team than they were last year. I really believe that. And I and honestly, going into 2021, as you know, they probably were a better team going in there, but I was not like a big I was not happy. I don't know if we all any of us were happy going into 2021. We were all kind of pissed off, angry. Yeah. Personally, as a fan, I feel better maybe at any time about this going into a Cubs season. And that I might just be delusional than like back to 2020, like it was, I always felt like we were just very frustrated going to 2020. We were frustrated going to 2021 trade rumors, a lot of things. Those teams are probably better. Right. Um, but I, I, feel, I still feel optimistic. I feel like we're still building. I feel like there's building going on. And I, you know, Eric Hosmer is not going to detract from that building to me. Cause like they can move off of him anytime they want. Cause he's so cheap. Ronan, you, you used a, a term earlier, the microcosm um, or whatever term it was. The, the epitome, 
He said he was the Eric Hausner was the epitome of what we've seen in this offseason so far. I think you are right in that. We talked about this when the before the Cubs had signed Dansby Swanson, when the top three shortstops were seemingly off the board. Uh, yeah. Correa still technically on the board. Uh, <laughs> Dansby Swanson was the only one still out there. And we said that there is still a path for the Cubs to get their shortstop and be competitive, but your options were narrowing. Your path was through an increasingly narrowing canyon. And I think in that same way, there is a path to the Cubs still being competitive this year, but you're relying on a hell of a lot of maybe. You're relying on Bellinger maybe regaining some kind of form. You are relying on guys coming up from the farm system and maybe producing a guy like Brennan Davis, who has the pedigree, but not recent health. A guy like Matt Mervis, who doesn't necessarily has the pedigree, but he has recent minor league success. You're relying at least to start on a guy like Hosmer, maybe being some kind of productive player. That's a lot of maybe. And a lot of those maybes are not necessarily in your favor. They could happen, but they aren't odds you would necessarily want to bank on. So, you know, we're, we're the Cubs are basically going in as Han Solo saying, never tell me the odds. You have that path to being a competitive team, but you're relying on an increasingly narrow path of maybe. And the road to maybe is paved with hell. I don't really know where I'm going with that analogy, but the point is it's not the odds you want going into a season. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, uh, I, I think if you look at the projections, like they come out, the Cubs kind of range anywhere from like you know, seventy-seven to seventy-eight wins to like 82, 83 wins. So like that's kind of in this middling kind of area, and then that's basically like you know, a fifty percent chance they could go either way off of that. So I don't know if I would say the odds are necessarily like not in their favor. Like they're probably going to be a middling team, but like it could break yeah, well or it could not break well. Like Eric Hosmer's probably, he's probably not going to be, his most likely outcome is that he is what he's been, which has been, he's been a major league average hitter. That's what he's been, which is not good enough for first base, but no. or DH. That is, it is good enough when your, your offense is terrible. Like you need to have major league hitters, average hitters in your lineup. And so like, that's kind of there. I, I don't know if anybody's really counting on Brennan Davis. I, I, I don't, uh, I, I'm so Brent sad Davis. about think, what's going on there. I can't believe the Cubs would be counting on him. Um, and I, I think like, you know, Clay or excuse me, Bellinger is going to be an upgrade in center field, like Swanson, whatever. So I, I do think like, I think you could go into next year and expect that this team to be somewhat competitive and be on the outskirts of maybe a playoff spot. And if things go bad, then they go bad. Unfortunately, that would suck. But I think there's an equal chance things would go good. Jeremy, did you almost did you almost drop a Clay Bellinger there instead I, of Cody twice, Bellinger? I, I called him Clay Bellinger twice on this podcast, and I, I can't get Cody. I can't get out of my head. I, I two times I've called him Clay Bellinger, and I've tried to correct myself. I love it. Um, th- there's a couple of other players that are sort of in a weird position right now with the Cubs. Um, Nick Madrigal comes to mind. Like, there's no b- role for Nick Madrigal in the Cubs team next year, so presumably he's going to be traded. Right? What's a realistic return for someone like Nick Madrigal, like a, a relief pitcher. Yeah, or, that's uh, the first uh, thing yeah, that what, came to mind for me was a relief pitcher, maybe a guy who throws hard, but hasn't been able to harness it. Maybe like a guy who throws 98, but the numbers strikeout wise aren't where you'd like them to be a guy that the hope the the guy that the Cubs hope they can kind of mold with the pitch lab and harness that. I think if you're going to trade Nick Madrigal, that's probably the the ceiling on him or you'd get like a back-end starting pitcher another depth guy with kind of that same pedigree good stuff but hasn't harnessed it yet in hopes that the cubs can make him better i think if you're going to trade madrigal it probably you probably get pitching in return one way or the other 
I feel like you're describing uh, Craig Kimbrell, Randall, the guy he was traded for, although he did have the strikeouts. Um, I, yeah, I think, you know, relief pitch. I mean, the one thing we have to remember is, and not to toot you know, Nick Nandrew, I was kind of skeptical about him when we were trading, but I thought it was fair for Kimbrell, is he was like a top 50 prospect heading, heading into the next, like when he was traded, he was a highly rated prospect. And he did have last year, I don't think he still would be thought of that way, but there's still maybe some teams that are, you know, still kind of have a positive thought on him. I don't know. Like I could see him starting the year with the team because he does give you kind of something off the bench where like, he'll give you some contact, maybe, you know, put a ball in play as a pinch hitter. But I, I do think for the sake of the Cubs, I think it's in their best interest to move him. I think he's kind of doesn't really have a place on the roster. I think you could trade him, get something, you know, that kind of, covers over a uh, weakness. And I, I, I think, yeah, a relief pitcher kind of makes sense or some sort of pitching. I agree with you, Randall. I think that makes sense for a Nick Madrigal trade. I just don't see where he really fits into the roster. Yeah. He kind of reminds me of like Wellington Castillo at the beginning of 20, uh, hmm. what was it? 15. It's like 20, 2015. Yeah. yeah. There's not really room for him. They never, they didn't trade him until like the start of the year, right? May or something, but yeah. Like, Nick, Nick Madrigal is, is his roster spot or his chance of keeping a roster spot is harmed a great deal by only playing one position. I guarantee you, if Nick Madrigal had any kind of positional flexibility, they would probably find a way to keep him on this roster. Because as you said, you can use that contact-oriented bat in a pinch-hitting spot. You can use him potentially as a defensive replacement. But the fact that he only plays one position, and a position where it's not easy, but it's a lot easier to find you know warm bodies to plug in there in an emergency, I think that works against him a great deal. And I do think that probably eventually seals his fate yeah and just an example like it, like we have if you have magical and morel like who are you going to choose in the situation i think everybody would choose like to keep morel and and magical to me would be behind morel on the roster morel can play second base or third base or shortstop in a pinch i think so that that's i you know i i think magical doesn't have a role now i do believe according to fan graphs that magical does have two options remaining so it's not out of the question that he maybe doesn't start the year on the major league roster and you know, I, I feel like if you're going to keep him, that's not the best use of him. Either find a way to keep him on the major league roster or trade him, because I just don't know what kind of insurance he provides for you at AAA necessarily. But that's not out of the realm of possibility that they might option him to AAA to start the season. Or guys get injured in spring training all the time. It's not uncommon that either he gets a roster spot that way or another team has a use for a second baseman and you find the right partner to trade him to then. So I do think he starts spring training with the team. I do think he maybe even finishes spring training in the organization, but I do agree that it's hard to envision him starting the season on the opening day roster. Possible. Well, I don't, I don't like feeling this way nope. about the Cubs. This is the opposite of where I was at like a month, month and a half ago. And I remember, and I, we talked about this on the podcast, but when the Cubs signed Bellinger, uh, my Cardinal friend Adam texted and said, wow, they're just going to flip him in July. And I'm like, hell no. The Cubs are going to go out. They're going to put a Brayu. I was drinking uh, all the reports. Brayu's come to the Cubs at first. And, and now I am worried about where this team is going. Uh, do you think Jed has any tricks up his sleeve, whether it comes down to a trade? Do we think a Nico contract extension is possible or likely here before spring training starts? Or is this largely yet a couple of small moves, but this is pretty much the Cubs going to Mesa. I think if you were to have us rank those three things in order of likelihood between contract extension or extensions, surprise free agent signing, or kind of significant trade, I would probably put contract extensions 
as number one of those three. I think one or both of Nico and Hap, and I think Nico is maybe the the more likely of the two, and you lock up your middle infield for the next five, six, seven years. Uh, so of those three, I would definitely put uh, contracts ex- extension or extensions as number one out of those three. I think a trade is you know, second most likely, but I do think there's a big gap between number one and number two there. I, I, well, for me personally, I, I still think the Cubs need another corner bat. Uh, I still think they need like another DH or, or third baseman. So I would hope that there's a move out there, probably a signing. I don't think like necessarily a major signing, but I would hope there's still a signing out there that the Cubs are interested in and looking at and try to bring in a player who, because I still think we need another corner bat. I, I believe that. And so I'm hoping that there, and I, and I do think Magical. You know, I don't know if that would be a major trade, but I, I think at some point he's going to go. And then for extension, I, I, I'm hopeful uh, with Nico. So I think all those things could happen. I, I think, I think in you know in spring training, I think it's most likely during spring training that something can get done with Nico Horner. Uh, I think it, it kind of will happen. But for me, I think they need another corner bat somewhere. And I think you know Magical is probably going to get traded. So I, I'm, I'm thinking all three. Jeremy, I got your corner bat right here. Your favorite reporter, John Heyman, said earlier that the Carlos Correa camp is in contact with at least one least other one team. team. And we all know that if John Heyman says it, it's true in the eyes of at least one agent somewhere. Cubs yeah. swoop in. They get Correa as their third baseman on an incentive-laden, uh, option-laden deal. He upgrades your offense. He upgrades your defense. He makes all of us happy. Jed, he's out there. Rescue him from the Mets. Get it done. It's not done yet. Well, if that miracle happens, I think we'll all be yeah. dancing with no pants on. You want to, <laughs> just like Clark, you want yeah, to uh, change like my mood here. Do something big before the season starts because, it, like I said, it just the offseason started hot and it's just sort of faded. And I don't love multi-year deals to guys like Drew Smiley and Tucker Barnhart. That doesn't make me very excited at all. Uh, I want something a little bit more to get me revved up because the division is very winnable. Uh, Milwaukee has taken a step back, and the Cardinals are beatable. You can go out and do it. And the Cubs, the philosophy is an organization. They cannot be afraid of this artificial cap that exists in baseball that's the luxury tax. And even if you were to go over it this year, with the money coming off the books next year, there's no saying that you couldn't field an even better roster next year, get back under the tax, and reset that clock. I, I, I That's why last time I was on the show, I was saying, I don't believe – that the money's actually there for the Cubs. I don't actually believe that. I don't believe those reports because it seems like they're operating that that's a hard cap and they're not going to go over it. So I don't know. Maybe Jed can pull something off here. Uh, Right now, I look at this team. I go, what did they win? 73 games last year? Yeah, I believe 73. Okay, I see a 74-win team this year. Uh, And, you know, it could kind of get ugly if you're trading guys like Ian Happ and Marcus Stroman and Cody Bellinger and things like that at the trade deadline. Uh, and I'm tired of these years of selling in the middle of the year. It's time now for the Cubs to be a little bit more aggressive with the farm system starting to produce some, some guys there. Um, anything else in the Cubs here? Majors, minors that either of you uh, want to talk about or feel is important about the Cubs? We still want to talk Hall of Fame, talk a little bit Wonderland. And uh, Randall's got a good one for us here with number 54 in Cubs history. But anything else Cubs related that we should touch on here? 94 in Cubs history. We passed 54 uh, quite a while ago. So we're, we're not quite turning. Did back I say clock. 54? You did say 54. I'm thinking of Brian Urlacher, I guess. You are thinking oh, of Brian Urlacher. We're he's all got hair now. 
Anybody who's driven on the tri-state in the last five years is thinking of Brian Urlacher. Yeah, Ronan, you, you touched on it. We're getting to the point in the winter, you know, pitchers and catchers report in five, six weeks. We're getting to the point where the roster is what it's going to be. And you're going to get to the point where guys are going to start arriving in Mesa and you just hope for the best. I do think there's probably a couple more moves on the fringes coming, probably another reliever or two. Um, but, you know, I feel like the roster kind of is what it is at this point, And we're just going to have to cross our fingers and hope for the best. Uh, this is not really a roster thing necessarily, but I, I do want to say that next week is a big week. Uh, you know, we have Cubs convention coming up. Oh Maybe yeah. There'll be a surprise signing. We always, and never happens, obviously. They're going to read. No, no, no they, announced, they announced Kerry Wood. They announced oh, the Kerry return Wood. of Kerry Wood. You're right. Pat Hughes introduced him at the Cubs convention. He says, this guy's just signed with the Cubs today. The name is familiar. Please welcome Kerry Wood. So don't say it doesn't happen. Hmm. You're right. So maybe there'll be a surprise signing. You know, on next Friday, January 13th is the opener. So, you know, big day. So maybe, maybe we'll get that surprise signing that day. Yeah. Well, for folks who don't know, next Friday is Randall J. Sanders' birthday. And uh, I decided this. I didn't run this past you, Jeremy, but I decided this for next week's show, number 95. Jeremy and I are each going to bring in an iconic Randall J. Sanders story that we're going to share with the podcast uh, to celebrate your birthday because it's a a big one for you next Friday uh, to kick off the Cubs convention. Uh, While we're sort of talking about that, though, Randall just buried his head, shook his head, and I'm going to bring a good story. Jeremy, you got a full week to think about what you want to bring and share with the audience. I got stories. Uh, Jeremy, we had a chance last week. I, I got caught up in the Southwest madness. I was supposed to go back to Denver on December 26th. Southwest said, no, you're not. And I ended up having to wait a full extra week, booked a flight with United, did get back on January 1st, and it kind of a mixed bag for me. On the one hand, definitely good to still be home, Uh, nice to be uh, at my parents' house, spending time with family and friends. Uh, And Jeremy, you and I had a chance to get down to Wrigley Field, and I I didn't think we were going to be able to do it. I ended up working out because I had the extra time in town, and we went to the Winter Wonderland. Jeremy, I had a nice time. And I think the things that you and I enjoyed about it was the things that 95% of people who went to the Winter Wonderland couldn't have possibly cared less about. Like you and I walked in, and we'll get to the Hall of Fame in a minute, but when we walked on the field, we're looking at the outfield wall, we're kind of touching the ivy out there, we're going down to where the old bullpens used to be, we're reminiscing on the Los Angeles Dodgers charging into the crowd, throwing punches at Cubs fans back in 2000, just sort of walking around the playing surface, seeing the field from that perspective was very, very cool to me. We didn't go on the slide, we didn't ice skate, we didn't do anything like that, but we stood in right field and we said, man, Sammy had this view for how long? That was very, very cool to me. And the fact that you could touch the outfield wall. I picked up the visitor's bullpen phone, even though there's a sign that said, don't touch those things. So screw that. Absolutely going to get my hands on it. And I thought, think of all of the uh, uh, pitchers, all of the pitching coaches, all of the the bullpen coaches that have touched that phone in the visitor's bullpen in the last five years or so since they moved under the bleachers. That was all very cool to me. Uh, Overall, pretty neat event that the Cubs have put on at Wrigley Field. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty cool event, too. I, I you know, I, I agree with you. I was way more into the whole being on the field, walking through, you know, everything that I think most people are. But, you know, for, you know, bring your kids or whatever, like they got the experience. I thought pretty cool Winter Wonderland for me, like as we're walking through, walking under the bleachers, walking yeah. through 
the home bullpen to get onto the field. Like most people are just not even paying attention to where they are, but that was the home bullpen. We were walking yeah. in there and all I can think about is like the, the team dancing, the bullpen, Pedro Strope warming up in there. And then we get on the field and that brick wall is hard, man. Like as yes. you said, I, I put my finger on where the open spots on the brick wall were not, not touching the Ivy and like, that is hard. Running into that was not fun. We went over to the side, the big Granger sign on the side. You know, we could see the the extra padding that Chris Bryant asked for for where his knee came yeah. across the net that Aloy Jimenez will, would fall into if we were at the cell. You know, all these different kind of aspects of of being on the field. That so it's, it's like a fun time. You go out there, you're you're, you're thinking about it. like as you said, this is what Sammy Sosa viewed for his career. This is like. You know, we're Cody Bellinger. Cody, I got it right that time. Where Cody Bellinger is <laughs> going to stand in center field. Or, you know, there was a train that was going around the infield. I don't know how happy the conductor was with it. But no, all the kids <laughs> <laughs> all the kids and stuff that were in there were having field. And for me personally, I was thinking like, you know, that's a, like we were kind of in short center. We weren't quite at the infield. But like, you know, that's like a that's a pretty long throw from short center field to third base or something. I'm thinking like, can I make that throw over there? Uh, probably not. Who knows? Uh, so like, I, I, you know, we we're just looking there and just being on the field. I, I thought it was a fun experience. Like I loved being on the field at Wrigley and I think it's really cool. They just kind of let you go in and it was pretty cheap. You know, we didn't ride any rides that cost money, but we were able to get in there, walk around. Uh, what well, wasn't cheap, I guess, were the drinks. I didn't have any, but Ronan, no. you could talk about that. I, I couldn't believe I, I got a single goose Island, uh, a nice one uh, IPA, but man, it was a game day prices uh almost twenty dollars for a a tall beer uh but it was worth it to stand on the field we were probably on the field 90 minutes maybe or so uh, before we uh, had a bar in the neighborhood and and hung out there for a little bit um but definitely neat and i learned something that i'd never thought about before and i've been to wrigley field maybe close to 200 times in my life i i gotta think about actually how many games i've been to but something like that sounds right uh the obviously you're familiar with the baskets in the outfield that surround the Ivy and, and was initially put in to keep people from falling out of the bleachers onto the field, and the garbage that they were uh, uh, lobbing onto the field as well. But they have these like two foot metal uh, support poles that come down from them that you never see it because it's behind the Ivy. And it got me thinking those early April games or even games in the full Ivy is there. If a line drive hits those metal support poles, that's going to be a weird ricochet that's different than just bouncing off of the brick wall or off of the ivy. And in all of my years going to Wrigley Field and all the attention to detail that I give to that place, never seen that before. So very cool to stand there uh, by the, the the painted outfield distance markers. It's just super, super cool and uh, very fun. Great experience. Yeah, it's expensive if you buy anything or want to do anything after you get in, but super cool to do it. And one thing, Jeremy, that you and I noticed that I would bet if there were, I don't know, 5,000 people that walked into Rigby Field the day that you and I were there, you and I were in the home bullpen. We saw dents in the padding behind where the catcher is when the pitchers are throwing in there. You and I noticed it. We were looking at it. I took a picture of it, sent it to Randall going, Randall, do you know what this is? I don't think any other person in that ballpark noticed those things that you and I spent maybe five minutes looking at. I, I thought I don't it was think cool. many realized they were in the home bullpen. I think people were just like yeah. walking through this where I get a drink, whatever. I'm like, this is the home bullpen people. We're in yeah. the home bullpen. <laughs> well, Ricketts certainly not making his money on the $5 admission. You know, I'm, I'm sure he's making his money on whatever the ride tickets cost and people willing to spend $20 on a beer 
and walk around Wrigley. But uh, a little envious, you know, it certainly looked like a, a great chance to walk around the outfield. It's certainly the sort of thing you figure they'll probably do for many years to come, uh, ballpark permitting. So uh, I hope that get the chance to walk around the outfield at some point, but it certainly looked like a great scene. I imagine it being just perfect. You go on a nice cold December night with some snow falling, probably a, a really great scene. It was cool. Uh, more teams should do it. I, I was back here in Denver the last couple of days looking at Coors Field going, why are the Rockies not doing things like this? Why are more teams not opening up their ballpark and activating it in the offseason? I don't think Coors Field would have the draw of Wrigley Field in an event like that, but you could absolutely get people to go out and just have a good time in the ballpark. And unfortunately, that is not something that other teams choose to do at this point in time. Um, I will say, though, something I was disappointed with, that Cubs Hall of Fame plaque yeah. thing underneath the bleachers is, it's embarrassing. It, for a Cubs Hall of Fame, it is these cheap plaques up on the wall, something I noticed about them. They were scuffed up. You know, people are drinking beers, frustrated with the bad Cubs, bouncing into it or bumping into it, whatever the case may be. Uh, that was a little bit disappointing. So I hope the Cubs can come up with a better idea. One, you got to get it out of the bleachers so more people have access to it. As Cubs fans know, you cannot get into the bleachers unless you have a bleacher ticket, and the majority of the ballpark isn't sitting in the outfield. So that's a big loss for me. Number two, you've got all that space. You've got the rooftops. You've got all the property in the neighborhood. you got to do better than these cheap plaques on a brick wall buried underneath the left field bleachers. That was underwhelming to me, and it's the first thing we saw once we got into the ballpark and we're working our way down to the field. And I, I of course, was interested in it. There were some interesting notes on – they've got like a little legend of this means all-star appearances, this means a Ford Frick Award. That was sort of neat to me, but the overall delivery of those plaques, very sort of cheap, and it's a Hall of Fame shouldn't be like that in my opinion and i hope they do something better with it i i agree with you i i think it's a shame i i you know you look at some other clubs or, or teams and they have like nice museums and, and buildings and, and i thought we were going to get that with gallagher way and that whole area like you know there could be some cool stuff and the cubs the um the uh the, the display cases that were across from the plaques were mostly empty and i'm like where's that where's yeah. all the stuff that was in there although there was a nice picture of wilson that you pointed out uh, in one of those display Made me sad. Cases. <laughs> i know it's like wilson's right there but uh, i have heard and i, I don't want to quote on like sources or anything but i have heard that there are plans to actually do things with that hall of fame and make it better so i'm excited to see what that is in the future but yeah i agree with you i it's a mess to have just these plaques in and under the bleachers, like, let's have a nice Hall of Fame. The Cardinals have a really yeah. cool Hall of Fame. The Green Bay Packers were like a team that has a really cool Hall of Fame museum. There are a lot of teams out there that have done the Cincinnati Reds have a cool Hall of Fame. Yeah. Like and museum. We can the Cubs have a history. They should be able to do something really cool and have a nice museum Hall of Fame that's not like just a couple plaques up on a wall under the bleachers. It, it is surprising that a team with the history of the Cubs and better history than the Cardinals and Packers, I said it, too bad none of their fans are literate enough to hear me say it, but for a team with the history that the Cubs have and the space that the Cubs have, you've built this entire neighborhood around Wrigley, including these, these theme park spaces right outside on Gallagher Way. It is surprising that the Cubs have not utilized any of that space for a real Hall of Fame. You have 
some gold gloves and other assorted awards that players have donated in the the bottom floor of the team store on Gallagher Way. And then you have these plaques under the bleachers. Uh, aside from the statues, and I do like where the statues are right now out on the Gallagher Way green. I like that a lot. But aside from that, you don't really have like a center of Cubs history in or around Wrigley Field, and that is odd. And Jeremy, I hope your your unnamed sources are better than like John Heyman. Uh, I do hope that does come to fruition because the Cubs have enough history that they deserve to have a better team museum than what they are currently doing right now. Maybe they'll put it in yeah. the, uh, the the DraftKings sports book. They'll dedicate a whole wing of it. That place looks pretty big, and it's kind of weird. It's like all glass. It, yes. it almost doesn't – like it was not nice over there to begin with, so I'm not going to say like they've ruined Wrigley or something like that because the Captain Morgan's Club was kind of trashy to begin with. But it's just an odd-looking kind of placement, and hopefully they kind of clean it up a bit as it moves on because it's like this weird glass building that doesn't quite fit in my opinion. Agreed. Agreed. And I was wondering, looking at it, if those glass panels will open in the mm-hmm. summer and then it'll it'll be – Almost kind of like when you're you're watching a game in Arizona or something, and they got those big panels in the outfield that open up. <laughs> uh, maybe that is what it will end up looking like. But I was a bit disappointed in the design. Um, I took a number of pictures out at the ballpark. Maybe we'll put a couple up on the Twitter account uh, after we post the show. But I've got one here of the Ryan Sandberg plaque. And just to my point earlier about it getting scuffed up, it's got gold trim around the outside of these rectangle plaques. There's a big chunk of the gold paint missing on the bottom left of it. And there's this weird stain all over the top. <laughs> this is Ryan Sandberg's Hall of Fame plaque in the Cubs Hall of Fame. And it just, it looks kind of gross. So yeah, we'll see what happens. But we'll put a p- couple pictures up on the Twitter account at uh, BTYL Podcast. Overall though, super fun. It was nice to get down there with you, Jeremy. We were very upset that Randall was not able to make it and very come upset. down with us. But uh, next year, Randall, and you're going ice skating, Randall, next year when we go. Bumper and uh, we'll put that video up on the Twitter account as well. You wish, O'Shea, you wish. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but we're coming up on the Hall of Fame. Uh, one former Cub is in, Fred McGriff getting in on the contemporary era committee, voting him in. Fred McGriff, a brief stint with the Cubs, 2001 and a bit in 2002. Uh, obviously, Cubs broadcaster Pat Hughes in as the Ford C. Frick award winner. Uh, Randall, you've been chomping at the bit here a little bit. If you got your 10 votes for electing people into the Hall of Fame, do you fill out all 10 or who are your guys here that you put on your ballot this year? You know, I don't think I would have all 10 on here because this is a ballot which got, with guys who were pretty good for elongated careers or really good for a short amount of time, but there's just nobody on this ballot who jumps out at me. I think I'd probably put Gary Sheffield in. I think I'd probably put Francisco Francisco Rodriguez, K-Rod in. I might put Andrew Jones in. I'd probably put Manny Ramirez in. I'd probably bite my tongue and put A-Rod in. Just dumbass individual, horrible individual, but really good ball player. You know, I, I could probably come up with five, maybe six. I don't think I would have all 10 on a ballot if I were a, a baseball Hall of Fame voter, and I am not. So the uh, the Hall of Fame can rest easy. Although I couldn't possibly do a worse job than these performative nobodies who send in a blank ballot um, as some sort of protest. Like, come on, you have a Hall yeah, of Fame. Uh, use, it better than, use it better than that. Randall, I, I blacked out there for a minute. Did you include or not include Scott Rowland? I did not. I did not include Scott Rowland. This is this is this is my ballot. I'm allowed to be as <laughs> subjective and petty as I want. I promise you that if the BBWAA ever grants me 
an actual ballot, I will take it more seriously. But up to then, until then, it's my ballot. I'm not going to vote a, a cardinal who tormented me for all the years that he did in there. Sorry, not going to happen. Not going to do it. Jeremy, can I throw three names at you one at a time? And I'm curious how you feel about them. I feel like these are maybe fringe type guys. And I don't know where you stand on this. Um, but I'll let you go first with Scott Rowland. He doesn't count. Is he a yes for you or no? No, he's a yes. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the three that I was thinking here, Mark Burley, yes or no? Uh, I would be a no on Mark Burley. I just, I know he had, uh, he had the long career. He had some great moments, a uh, perfect game, a no hitter. I just, I just don't think he meets quite the standard. I, I, I would be a no on him. I'm not putting Mark. If I put Mark Burley in, I feel like we got to put a lot more guys in. Okay. Another guy I was thinking, uh, I wonder where Jeremy stands on this, a man with a mustache, Jeff Kent. Yes or no? I'm still, yeah, I'm a no on Jeff Kent. I, I he hit a lot of home runs as a second baseman, broke uh, Brian Sandberg's record, I believe, at the time for most home runs as a second baseman. But I just don't feel it. I, I hit MVP. Uh, he beat he beat on uh, Barry Bonds in the in the lot in the dugout. <laughs> we all saw when they got in a fight. But uh, I, I'm Jeff Kent. No, is a no for me. And one more for you, Jeremy. Jimmy Rollins. Yeah, you're. I think we might go three for three here. I okay. I don't think another MVP. <laughs> I just don't think Jimmy Rollins going and I do have kind of a big ballot. I, I think I got like eight or nine guys on my ballot. Just those three just don't quite meet for me. I think they're a little bit less. And I love Jimmy Rollins as a player, but I'd be more Chase Utley with more my speed. I think when he comes up, I'd have him in. Let me throw yeah. you one more here, and then I want to hear who you did put in. Okay, uh, Billy Wagner. I'm a yes on Billy Wagner. I think Billy Wagner was an, uh, was a great closer. I think he was kind of a special player. He was short. He could throw. He wasn't even I, if I believe correctly he wasn't even left-handed but he would throw 100 miles an hour from the left side which is crazy to me so yes billy wagner i think was an all-time great i, I put billy wagner in. any other notables that are an obvious check mark for you so for me yeah i i think you know it's hard because of the whole cheating scandal and what was went on with the the astros and everything but i still would put carlos beltron in i think he was a hall of fame player i would put Andrew Jones in. I think he was also a Hall of Fame player. I think Bobby Abreu was a Hall of Fame player. I think Bobby Abreu was an amazing player. Didn't quite get the credit because he kind of just kind of did everything. He could walk. He could do everything, but never was great at anything. I think Todd Helton out there in the Rockies is a Hall of Fame player. I, I thought he was great. Um, I would put A-Rod in. I don't know if I would put Randy in because Manny, he got busted. You know, he he's a deserving player, but he got busted when there were rules against it, and he got busted by the league. I don't know if I would go that far. I, we said Roland. We said Wagner. And I think Gary Sheffield, I would put Gary Sheffield in. I think those are all the guys I would put in. I could kind of get around on Andy Pettit because he was such a great postseason pitcher. But I think mm -hmm. I might be on the there with a no. But those are pretty much the guys. Abreu, Beltran, uh, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, A-Rod, Scott Rowland, Gary Sheffield, Billy Wagner. I think those are the guys I would go with. So you wouldn't put Beltran in on the basis of his managerial career? Uh, well, he hasn't had a managerial career. Okay, so that's a no. Ronan, I'm sure you have opinions on this ballot because there's nothing on which you don't have opinions. Would you get to 10 on this ballot? No, I wouldn't get to 10, but I will say this. I, I got to put the Denver voice out there. Uh, anybody who thinks that Todd Helton is not a Hall of Famer is a complete degenerate. Uh, he was an unbelievable player. At Yes, at Coors Field, but on the road as well, a, a truly dominant player. And if you look at that stretch of baseball, 
1999 to 2005 or so with a whole bunch of all-star appearances in there. It, it's mind-boggling numbers. Uh, Yuri hit 372 with a 463 on base percentage, 40 home runs, 150 driven in. He was a fantastic player. He is the face of a franchise that doesn't have a whole lot else to really boast about in their 30 years in Major League Baseball. Uh, so I want to bang the drum a little bit for the Colorado Rocky here, Todd Helton. When I see reporters saying, well, he played a course field, so it doesn't count. It's just the most absurd thing I've seen because he was a dominant road player as well. So Todd Helton, yeah, he's had trouble off the field uh, since he's retired and all that, but I don't really care about that. He was a great player. He should be in the Hall of Fame, and I'd like to see him in the Hall of Fame. Uh, a couple other names I guess I'll throw out. I agree with you on Carlos Beltran, tremendous player. Uh, also one of my most hated players because his career lined up with a lot of my video game playing. And in every video game that I had from Triple Play 98, Microsoft Baseball 2001, uh, um, All-Star Baseball 2002, MVP 05, Carlos Beltran always popped up, no matter what team he was playing for, and he hit a big home run against me. And I'm good at those games, but he was just this guy that in every game, in every version of playing this stuff, he would find a way to mess me up. So I tip the cap where it's due there. And I do agree, Jeremy, uh, Scott Rowland, don't like the Cardinals. Great player, though. And, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer in my book. Two guys that I remember thinking that could possibly be Cubs. Like, I remember being the Cubs should favor Roland or the Cubs should make a move for Beltron and just never came to fruition. And both ended up on the Cardinals, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, another Cardinal uh, on the ballot here. Randall's guy, John Lackey. Uh, not going to be a Hall of Famer, <laughs> no, but a Cubs World Series no. hero. Also he, can, uh, he can go to Cooperstown for a haircut, maybe. Well, yeah. Randall, this is our 94th podcast, and that is an interesting number in Cubs history. What do you have for us? So there has been a single player or coach to wear number 94 in the long and illustrious history of the Chicago Cubs, and that is a player, Ronan, that I know is near and dear to your heart, left-handed pitcher Felix Heredia, who has oh, yeah. the distinction of having worn three different jersey numbers in three different seasons as a Chicago Cub. Uh, I'm sorry, four different seasons as a Chicago Cub. He started in number 35. He went to number 49 after that. And then in his final season as a Chicago Cub, he wore number 94. He flipped the digits from 49. He wore number 94 as a member of the Cubs in 2001. I know that team is near and dear to your heart. And so he holds the distinction of being the only uh, numbered individual to wear number 94 in a regular season Cubs game. And something I do want to bring up, uh, you mentioned this is the third year of BTYL. We started it prior to the 2021 season. So this will be the third year, the third season we are covering. All throughout 2021, you, you would throw it back about 20 years to one of your favorite teams, the 2001 Cubs. It occurred to me rather painfully the other night that we are now 20 years past the 2003 Cubs. So I wow. do think that throughout this year, yeah, yeah, that threw me for a loop too. 20, 2008 was 15 years ago. Don't think about that too much. But I, I do think throughout this uh 2023 year, I do think occasionally we should throw it back about 20 years and we can remember a division winning, nearly pennant winning Cubs team. Everyone's heard that story a few times. And we can remember a, a very fun team in the 2003 Cubs. So I think our listeners should look forward to that as we gear up to navigate through this 2023 season and 2023 year. That, that's a good call, and I'm totally on board with that. With some milestones as we get into April and May, um, some notable games. I mean, uh, Alex Gonzalez 
two walk-off home runs in May, uh, one against the Rockies on the 4th. I think that was a Sunday. And then the following Saturday at Wrigley Field, May 10th, against the Cardinals, hit a walk-off home run. I remember uh, Steve Stone saying, a sea of red departs as that home run was hit and all the angry Cardinals fans left. It's a great idea, Randall. That was a very important Chicago Cubs team. And I think especially to us, like, yeah, we got 98. Uh, the first real playoff team that we got to see. We were alive for 89, but none of us were able to really bring that one in. We missed 84, of course. Before that, it was a long time since the Cubs were in the postseason, uh, about uh, 1945. So 03 was a very important season. Sammy, Kerry, Pryor, Dusty. There's a lot of stories to tell. I look forward to exploring that with you guys a little bit. All three of us were in uh, junior year of high school or yep. I guess ending sophomore year, beginning junior year throughout the 2003 season at beautiful Glenbrook South in Glenview, Illinois. Uh, you know, there, there's conventional wisdom that says kind of the music you listen to between the ages of 10 and 20 is what informs you for the rest of your life. The kind of entertainment you absorb during that very formative decade. I, I think that goes doubly so for the sports teams because you you are in that period where you are more aware than you were as a, a, a wean uh, a youngin, as as some people like to say, and like you said, 2003 was a very formative team for a lot of Cubs fans in a certain generation. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun looking back at that team as long as we don't look back at mid October for that team. We'll, yeah. we'll cut the we'll cut the reel off in early October. The season ended there. It was a great season, and 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 you know the Cubs won a playoff series that year, which is something I would like to point out that the White Sox on the other side of town. They've only had one year in which they've won a playoff series in a hundred and over a hundred years, which is Oh five where we got the Cubs. You have Oh three, you got 15, you got 16, you got 17. We got some playoff series wins. And Oh three was that first playoff series win since I, I believe since 1908 at the time. Yeah. And so that was a big time when they beat the Atlanta Braves. And so, uh, yeah, that was a fun year. So there, there still even was some good in October. Lots. Yeah. And a very satisfying Game five win against Atlanta in Atlanta, one of the great games of Kerry Wood's career. It's going to be a lot of fun looking back on it, but it's a heartbreaking story, too. Uh, thank God we had 2016 to sort of ease the pain of that a little bit. Uh, also, you want to see pristine Wrigley Field. 2003 yep. is about as good as it gets. Uh, so we'll share some photos on the Twitter account of that as well, because that that era of that ballpark, to me, that's just golden Wrigley. And I didn't get Wrigley without lights. So in an era of lights, hard to beat 2003 at Wrigley Field. You mentioned it, it's kind of a bittersweet story because we know how it ends. It's like watching the Star Wars prequels. Anakin does these great things, uh, but you know you know what's going to happen to him in the end. Clone Wars, baby. That's right. And yeah, the Clone Wars. So so does that make 2004 the Clone Wars or how does that work, Jeremy? We're going to have to work that out. We're going to have to work that out. All right, one final question for you, not Cubs related. Uh, Jeremy, by the way, uh, appreciate the uh, invitation and opportunity to get out to the Bears game when I was home. I had a real good time with you and your dad. We froze, but we had a nice time out there. Uh, first time in my life getting to see Justin Fields in person, so that was very neat. One more game here, Fields will not be playing. Uh, does Lovey pull it off and the Bears get the number one pick? What happens this weekend? Uh, that's my hope. I'm hoping Lovey, you know, <laughs> does – if Lovey – Pulls it off. Do we build a statue of him outside of Soldier Field for the Bears to get the number one pick? Only uh, if the statue has the beard. Yes. But uh, I will say, you know, before, how about a happy 100th birthday today to Virginia uh, McCaskey? Kind 100. Of 100. That's almost as old as the team. It's only off by like a year or two. Um, so she's 100 years old running this team. But, yeah, 
Justin Fields, you know, not playing this weekend. I think it's a smart move. We all get to see Nathan Peterman go out there and the Bears, you know, they'll lock up a top two pick more than likely. So, uh, yeah, I'm for it. And uh, it'll, it'll be fun to see what the Bears can do with that, whether they trade down or end up drafting somebody. Yeah, you know, as much as you would have liked to see um, Fields break that rushing record, sitting him is the right call. The Vikings are going to be playing for something. And, you know, the Vikings are just a, a disreputable organization. There would absolutely be guys trying to hurt Justin Fields. Don't fact check me on that. I just made that up. Um, but, yeah, there, there's no reason for him to play. There's there's nothing at stake. Uh, integrity of the game. Spare me. Um, so, yeah, get Justin Fields. Just rest him. Let him get ready for what is hopefully a better 2023 season eventually with some better pieces around him. Uh, I would have liked to have seen him break that rushing record, but I'm good with it. He's he's the future of this franchise. Put him in bubble wrap, cryogenically freeze him for the offseason, start thawing him out sometime in July. Well, it's been a okay. tough week for the National Football League. Um, ready, though, for this Bears season to come to a close. And then uh, maybe some optimism, a ton of money to spend, and a little bit of hope there as well. And even if they have the first or second pick, maybe they trade it. There's lots of things that they can do here. Um, or maybe they go get a quarterback if they have the number one pick and trade Justin Fields, huh? <laughs> Randall's eyes just rolled out of his head. That they that did, for. Ronan. That they uh, did. Out, out of my I, head, I think, down the street. I think it's worthy of a conversation if they have the number one pick. I don't, but that, that's okay. We can disagree about whether it's worthy of a conversation. Well, let's see what happens this weekend, and then we'll end next week's show with that. Uh, but, hey, Eric Osmer's a cub. Love it, hate it. It's how things are. Uh, Jeremy, the final point on that, and then we'll bring this thing home, is I just find it funny that for the last, like, three years, Jeremy, you and I have been sort of arguing or bantering about Eric Hosmer coming to the Cubs, and we thought of it more as a, the Cubs take on some money, but they get a really good prospect. I, could they get Robert Hassel, right? It was something that we used to talk about if Hosmer came over. Well, we didn't get that but we got a very cheap Eric Hosmer and I get a month to complain about it before I'm just excited that spring training starts. You do get that. I, I, I wanted Hosmer for the prospect and I think the Cubs were generally interested because they signed him. So I think they were always kind of interested. I guess it just came down to the Padres probably not yeah. giving the prospect that the Cubs wanted to pair with him. Well, happy new year's guys. Randall, big show next week. We're going to celebrate your birthday. We've got some stories coming and we'll see you next time on behind the yellow line.